I've been a conduit for a lot of people just who have zero context saying like, will you make me a dead playlist? I know nothing about them. And I'm just like, oh my God, like a five song playlist <laughs> to get somebody into the dead is so crazy. And this is my good friend, Ezra Koenig, singer of Vampire Weekend. And you know what? I feel you, buddy, because I've had the exact same experience myself. It's a real hard thing to convert somebody to the Grateful Dead. You know, you would think, ah, I'll play them a couple studio records, but that's not the vibe I want to give them out of the gates. So then you go into a live show. But man, what era? What show? What tracks? Sometimes I really struggle with a way to hook my friends from the beginning. You actually realize the enormity of it, and you're like, yeah. how do you start? Go play a live show, and it opens with a with a like a kind of faithful Merle Haggard cover. In spite of all my Sunday learning, for the bad I kept on turning, mama couldn't hold me anymore. It takes time to understand why a Merle Haggard song and Eyes of the World and Loser and Terrapin Station all inhabit the same universe. That takes time. Mm -hmm. And if you start throwing on 17-minute live versions, it's a very difficult task. So I think that makes them polarizing because people dip their toes in and jump right out and say, oh yeah, no, I tried, they suck. <laughs> I'm Emmett Malloy, and this is America's Dead. Ezra Koenig is maybe an unlikely evangelist for the Grateful Dead. But in a way, that's exactly why I wanted to talk to him for the show. I've been a fan of the Dead's music for decades. I'm also an artist, a filmmaker, a father, and a cultural observer. And recently, I've become a bit obsessed with understanding why the Dead means so much to so many people, even today. I mean, the dead have been performing literally since before I was born. And it seems like, strangely, they're more alive now than ever. I'm seeing the classic Steal Your Face on skateboards. Tie-dye shirts are really back. LeBron is out there wearing a Dancing Bear shirt. And now that I've said it, you'll probably start to see that stuff as well. And the thing that I find most powerful is that musicians like Ezra are reviving their sound. I guess what I really want to know is, what can the dead tell us about us? So I was first introduced to their music via their albums. I have early memories of hearing like Uncle John's band off a CD boombox at school or somebody's house. And I was like, this is beautiful music. These harmonies are incredible. Well, the first days are the hardest days. Don't you worry anymore. Cause when life looks like easy street, there is danger at your door. For a long time, I always said that was my favorite Grateful Dead song. I didn't realize at the time that Uncle John's band is not a particularly good way in to the Grateful Dead, partially because there's very few live renditions that anybody particularly rides for on that mm -hmm. song. As I got older, I got more interested in the band and the history. Maybe I was a little bit traumatized growing up in the 90s 
and especially the late 90s when I was coming of age and like whatever you want to call that post-grunge. I'm not knocking those bands, but that was a time where mainstream music had maybe some of the harshest, most dog shit guitar tones of all time. This kind of mid-rangey sludge, just like, (laughs) not not even like interesting distortion, just like, (laughs) wow. Mm-hmm. Which has its place. I'm not knocking it, but nobody wrote fun, light riffs. Nobody danced up on the, the high strings. You know what I mean? Yeah, the yeah. guitarist that I responded to, you know, Johnny Marr, King Sonny Ade, Jerry Garcia. Very different, very different guitarist. But like, I don't know what you'd say. It's it's a brightness, got heart and emotion. It's fun. It's a joy. When I talk to somebody who doesn't know anything about the dead and they want to understand Jerry as a guitarist, I always think of 70s Eyes of the World. I've, I've always found that there's like a long eyes is the way that somebody doesn't like the dead and doesn't care about improvisatory music will sometimes perk up and say, what's this? Right. There's something about him over those chords, it's, I don't know how to describe it, but it's joyful. It's like dancing, Mm -hmm. it's lyrical. Almost every note, every phrase he plays is like pure him. I don't know, when he does a little chromatic runs, it's just, you can listen and follow his solos for, 10 to 20 minutes. Maybe maybe 45 minutes on a really crazy night. In a certain way, that's the kind of influence that his guitar playing has on me, is trying to write these little riffs that, yeah, have that type of energy and fun. Yeah. So on your new record, I listen to songs like Harmony Hall, and I'm just so curious about this, the, the fingerprint of the dead in your music. And the And I mean, shit, I just start doing the kind of dead dance to it because I feel like the spirit of that song and the sonic textures really kind of harken the Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia. Have the dead influenced you as a songwriter? Oh God! I mean, I don't want to. <laughs> I always, I don't want to like compare. But when I think about the early days of Vampire Weekend and some of the stuff that I was really into and wanted to reference in the music, I guess I wasn't even thinking about the dead that much because I was kind of busy like defending Paul Simon and Sublime. <laughs> Although I definitely think there's a lot of people who like Sublime, Paul Simon, and the Dead. Well, I will say that something I've thought about more as I've gotten older, I actually more actively look for simple ways to tell a story in the hope that there's actually something deeper and weirder in the simplicity Mm -hmm. than filling a song with $5 words and weird imagery or something. When you look at a song like Touch of Grey, 
that's, that's not going to be in most Deadheads' top five songs. But when you look at it lyrically, and I've thought a lot about that song, Hunter's referencing the famous phrase, which was also a famous song in the early first half of the 20th century, look for the silver lining. Look for the silver And he flips it in this funny way. Rather than look for the silver lining, he says, but you know, once you find the silver lining, the silver lining's gonna have a touch of gray. And every touch of gray has a silver lining. It's like this weird, almost like psychedelic, like two mirrors facing each other moment. But it's also just simple yeah. life wisdom. One of the singles on the last record is called This Life. I was trying to do something simple, and there's a, a line that I never would have written when I was young. Baby, I know love isn't what I thought it was. It's definitely not some like Baroque Grateful Dead song with all sorts of weird references, mm-hmm. but it's like, when I just look at my development as a songwriter, there is something where as I get older and I look for what I really love about the most legendary songwriters, it is sometimes when the simple can feel deep. That's the best way I can put it. Something I aspire to. Yeah. Hunter Garcia, man, I just don't know if there's a better songwriting duo in the history of music. And I'm just wondering why were they so gnarly as songwriters? Why together were they such a lethal combination? And what was so unique about them? I mean, when you really get a team where it's a pure lyricist and a pure, like, melodicist, whatever, songwriter type, it is pretty amazing. I guess when I think about Robert Hunter's lyrics, and I think the only person who, you know, you can compare it is kind of Dylan... I'm out here a thousand miles from my home. They're people mm-hmm. who know folk music inside and out. Like the turns of phrases they pick, they're often kind of quoting or misquoting or riffing on something deep and old. Here, poppers and peasants and princes and kings. Hey, hey, what he got three? I wrote you a song. Then you definitely know that about Jerry as well. One of my top Grateful Dead songs is not written by the Grateful Dead, but it's Peggyo. That's probably a song where I've listened to almost every single version of it. If ever I return. I love hearing Jerry solo over it, and I, just, I love hearing him sing it. Just uh, these weird, intense lines from the past. If ever I return, all your cities I will burn. Like, it's crazy. So anyway, these guys understand that music so deeply and love it. And they understand the, the, the way it works and the architecture and, and what's cool and weird about it. And then they can bring in other interests 
like the Wild West or something. Or... Out in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. Or just like weird psychedelic imagery. It's kind of a great example of the, the cliche, which is you have to know the rules mm -hmm. to break them. When people describe the dead as being just like hippie psychedelic nonsense or the lyrics is just impressionistic. Oh yeah, it must be fun to get mm -hmm. high and write down a bunch of just like kooky yeah. things. That couldn't be further from the case. These are people who diligently studied the rules. Mm -hmm. They understood how you tell a story in a song how you use repeated imagery or familiar imagery to really make a point. They understood the rules and then they break them and they have fun with it. And I love that. And that's also what's interesting about the dead and why you can't quite put your finger on them and why, you know, you also can't put your finger on them politically because people are always like, what, Tucker Carlson's a deadhead? It doesn't make <laughs> yeah. any sense. He runs you a run? lot. You're a big Listen runner? to the Grateful Dead on the treadmill for a half hour, <laughs> nothing hard, trust me, as you can tell. So then you kind of realize like, yeah, but it's it's a huge, big open tent. And it's like the songs are, on the one hand, extremely traditionalist. Because the 60s and the 70s are in the past now, we sometimes forget that when you s sit down and write a song about, like, Tennessee Jed. You better back to Tennessee Jed. Or the, the characters and, like, deal. or loser. <laughs> it's easy to be like of the moment and write a song about TikTok, or, you know, just whatever the current technology is. That's relatively easy and it's relatively easy to be a pure traditionalist. To mix them up, it's, it's very, very difficult. I, I got a quote for you that I found online and I, I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, but the gist of it is, Kurt Cobain says, I wouldn't wear a tie-dyed shirt unless it was dyed with the blood of Jerry Garcia. Yeah. And then I dug a little deeper because that quote caught my interest. And I found Kurt Cobain wearing a t-shirt that said, kill the Grateful Dead. Where do you think this anger came from? I have to imagine he's fronting a little bit because Kurt was in the lineage of punk rock which was a fashion movement and a way of thinking that was partially built on hating hippies. And now, of course, there's so many bands and great musicians who took elements of the punk ethos and the hippie ethos together. Notably, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm sure somebody's written an essay about this, but Kurt was a huge Meat Puppets fan. <laughs> Nirvana covered like Lake of Fire and stuff. Go to a lake of fire and fly. See him again. Tell for the July. Meat puppets and Minutemen to me sounds so much like fish. I guess I should just reach out to, to Trey and just ask him, but I've Googled it many times because I always like, there's no way that fish did not equally listen to the Minutemen and Meat Puppets, as well as the Grateful Dead. Yeah. So anyway, by the time you get to Kurt and he's saying something like that, 
I have to imagine he's fronting a little bit because he's a music nerd just like us. You look at that book, they yeah. released his sketches, his sketches and, and notebooks. He, yeah. he was drawing logos from the time he was 14. He was like writing notes about like how, what his band should sound like. You know, he's a, he's a music nerd. He understood the, uh, that you have to kind of present a story. I think deep down, Kurt, as a good music nerd, was well aware that a lot of bands he liked, liked the dead. And in a way, yeah. he was just hating on probably what he perceived to be hippie excess or something. I, it's hard to imagine that Kurt w- would have gotten in, like technical and just been like, here's the top five reasons that I think Jerry Garcia sucks at guitar. Like, I don't think he was coming from there. He was just being an angry, angry young man. And I bet like, rest in peace, but I bet if he had lived longer he'd be doing an interview now and somebody'd be like, man, you used to really like hate on the Grateful Dead. But then we saw you went out with Dead & Co. at their show in Seattle. What's up with that? And he'll be like, listen, man, in the early 90s, I was still processing a lot of shit. I was very angry. I had right. some bad experiences with hippies in high school. Yeah, <laughs> I disavow those statements. Yeah, totally. <laughs> One of the classic things is somebody making a joke like, uh, yeah, why do I want to just hear somebody on drugs? dick around on guitar <laughs> for 10 minutes. And that person, let's say they're a kind of a urbane New York, LA type hipster. They would never say that about like John Coltrane. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, they shouldn't, but they would never say, you know, if you said like, oh, I was just listening to like John Coltrane, they'd be like, you mean that guy who did drugs and dicked around on the saxophone for 15 minutes? <laughs> no, they would never say that. You'd be like, Jesus, God. Anyway, they wouldn't say that and they shouldn't, but they weren't around a bunch of like high school aged bebop obsessives who were experimenting <laughs> yeah. with smack. They, they yeah. were around hippie bros and broettes. I think so much of life and culture in America is still people can't get over shit from high school. I think you could explain like so much anger yeah. and frustration, culture war stuff that way. Like you'll meet somebody who'll say some shit about the Grateful Dead and you just be like, I feel like you're talking about one dude that you went to high school with. Like, I'm sorry for you, like, that there's a deadhead yeah. in your life who smoked a little too much weed and you failed algebra because this person kept wanting to get high with you, but like, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, yeah, I love this theory. I think it's pretty scientifically sound. I mean, I think there's definitely a pretty strong stereotype of the deadhead. But also what we've been talking about is how this band was so many things in one, so many genres, trying so many styles of music on for size. I mean, what do you think drove their innovation? You know, you read about them and always be like, yes, very important band and an economic juggernaut. And the money, the money was serious. And then you look back on it and you read what they had to say about it. And they always say like, man, we were just trying whatever we could. And I was trying to picture like, imagine it's like 79 or 80 or something right around the time they dropped Go to Heaven. They didn't quite know how to dress anymore. You know, they're throwing on Mm -hmm. these like white suits and kind of having fun. (laughs) And they're probably getting a lot of shit from the fans who didn't like Shakedown Street because it's disco and be like, oh, what the fuck? This band sucked since Pigpen died. You know, (laughs) and you picture the dead. They probably didn't feel like on top of the world. You know what I mean? They're probably looking at the Eagles or some shit or even the Rolling Stones and just being like, well, 
I guess we didn't turn into one of those bands. But I always think about that. You can look back on something and it looks like this perfect model of innovation. And then you realize, why would a band like the Grateful Dead have come up with so many innovations? It's partially because they weren't getting the red carpet rolled out for them culturally. They were seen as kind of weird, hippie, burnout has-beens. And they were just dudes figuring it all out. And in some ways, I'm sure a lot yeah. of their innovation came from the fact that they weren't the Rolling Stones and they weren't the Eagles. By the 90s, people looked back and had to give it up for them because, as I said, they were an economic juggernaut. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, this goes beyond music. This is just some life stuff. Like, you're in some weird period. You don't know which way's up. You don't exactly feel innovative or that you know the answers. Then you just kind of remember, you know what? It's a pretty cliched, but like, stay true to yourself. Talk things over with your crew. Try to deliver quality material and shows to the fans. And like, it'll probably work itself out one way or another. I've been really biting my tongue on talking with you about John Mayer because it's so trippy to me that John Mayer, your body is a wonderland, is Jerry Garcia in the new Grateful Dead. It's so crazy to me. I couldn't swallow that pill the first 500 times I heard it. And so now I'm just curious what you think of Dead and Company. Have you seen them? And give me your take on it. Yeah, I have seen Dead and Company and I had a great time at the show. And I think John Mayer's done a very admirable job learning how to channel Jerry. Obviously, he's a very talented guitarist and, and he could just get up there and like rip solos but there's an expectation which i think he delivered on over the years to drop jerryisms into what he does that's kind of what the people want and not everybody could do that so you got to give it up to him yeah it's interesting that you compare it to a church or something i think there's something about the music that represents like a worldview or something and like you said with like a church if you feel like many people do, that the Bible is a rich world and a rich way to like kind of experience reality. You could show up to different um, churches and get a little taste of it because you mm -hmm. want to luxuriate in that world. And all right, this preacher is saying something a little bit different and this choir sounds a little different, but you're still dipping into a world, a worldview. And, and mm -hmm. I think it's not crazy to compare the, the dead's body of work to that. I think it's a very unique body of work, a unique songbook that tells a story that pushes in a lot of different directions. And I don't know, like I've enjoyed seeing my friend's cover band many times. I can't think of too many other types of cover bands that I'd want to see more than once. Yeah. Extremely rare. I can't think of too many, yeah. anything else quite like it. On the next episode of America's Dead. The Grateful Dead are masters at letting go. Just going to the next note that pops into their mind. Just, oh, that one, and then, and then, and then, and then there. In those states of flow, they're channeling God. For many people, the Grateful Dead are way more than just a band. So I think this idea of studying Hinduism or Buddhism, studying my religious and family history, going to India to learn about who I was, was a way for me to understand my Indianness 
Whereas The Grateful Dead was a way for me to understand my Americanness. And for a long time, being Indian American, that hyphen between Indian and American was a barrier. It meant that those two things were forever disconnected, you know? But at some point, through my experiences with The Grateful Dead and my study of Indian religion, that hyphen became a bridge. Maybe the dead are a religion. That's next time on America's Dead. Thanks for listening to America's Dead from Sonos. If you haven't yet, this is your moment. Share this show with a buddy. Text your favorite episode to a friend. Tell them why you're digging the show and let us know what you think. We're on Instagram at Sonos Radio. You can subscribe and get all of our episodes on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you love to listen. America's Dead is produced by Work by Work. Scott Newman, Gemma Brown, Kathleen Ottinger, Alex Kappelman, and Ben Montoya. Additional production from my old friend Josh Agajanian. The show is mixed by Sam Baer and Josh Hahn. Our theme music is by Jake Longstreth, John Nixon, Aaron Olson, and Ryan Adloff of Mountain Brews and Richard Pictures. And a special thanks to Joe Dawson at Sonos. I'm Emmett Malloy. Catch you next time.